0: You take your Bible with me and turn to the book of Luke. We're in Luke's gospel again this week, exploring parables of Jesus. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Luke eighteen one through 8. Your The heading in your Bible may some, say something like, the parable of the persistent widow, or it may say something uh, along the lines of the parable of the unjust judge. We'll opt for both of them in our in our title this morning, The Parable of the Unjust Judge and the Persistent Widow. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's a, there's a stack back there. Feel free to pick up one of those. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, there are several back below the offering box. I'd encourage you to pick one up and use it uh, often and and regularly. If you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a, a friend or a coworker or a family member and would like to gift them with a Bible, pick one of those up as well, And please. Please, uh, please give it to, to them so that they can see the words of our God before them with regularity. Luke chapter 18, I'm going to read the first eight verses here. And he, being Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? At this point in the year 2020, uh, no one would suggest that it hasn't been a doozy. And I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of us are feeling pretty exhausted by the overwhelming amount of information that's been coming our way in the last several weeks. Lots of information from every direction about a whole host of issues. Global pandemics, uh, political jockeying, societal unrest, and of course, murder hornets are all in the news. Regularly murder hornets, that one's a joke, guys. I'm trying to lighten things up here. People respond differently to all these things. but the reality is even when things are good, people respond differently to, to things. People move in their hearts in different ways when they hear news. And in some instances, something that may be good for an individual may actually seem, may actually seem harmful for another. The fact of the matter is when we look at Luke chapter 18 and these, fir- these first eight verses here, Jesus' hearers had a lot on their mind as well. There's a lot going on in their society. Many things were happening. Tensions with the Romans over occupation, increased divisions amongst religious leadership over seemingly petty issues, and a rapidly changing world around them as power structures came and went almost overnight. When we encounter this parable, the author Luke gives us reasons why Jesus tells the parable right away in verse 1. And that's very helpful for us because sometimes the application process. Through these parables can be a little bit difficult, but to us, Luke says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we can say very clearly that we have the application of this parable, and we'll get to it at the end again, but we can say very clearly at the end of the parable that we ought to always pray and that we ought not to lose heart. And because of that, I think we can learn a lot from this parable, just because of the intersections with what's going on in our world. And the reality for many of us is that Christians are oftentimes prayerless. And we, Christians, often allow our circumstances, whether personal or societal, to cause us to lose heart. And so this speaks clearly and directly to us. The questions we have to ask ourselves that flow out of this parable are, one, how's your prayer life? Is it, or does it, exist? If so, is it haphazard? Uh, does it lack focus? I think for many of us, the answer is yes, to many of those things. And here's another question, how's your heart? And what Jesus means by heart here isn't something that our society often means. He isn't just referring to the emotions of the situation. It's not like our culture talks about the heart. It's not this ethereal, sort of like ooey-gooey, unthinking thing. Rather, the heart, biblically, is central command. The heart for the Christian is central command. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this, It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The springs of life flow from the heart. This verse most of the time gets applied to high school dating relationships. Not, Not the proper application. Instead, it's communicating that each individual has a core to their being and that it needs to be protected at all costs. The core is the heart and it needs to be protected at all costs. Uh, think of the heart as less, l- less like in a ball of emotional mush and more like central command, a center or a hub of military operations. So that's the question. How's your heart? Is your heart in good health? Is central command for you in good health? Or is it lacking direction? Is it lacking motivation? Is it lacking Resolve. And so this parable is designed to strengthen our prayer life and our command center. And it accomplishes this in two ways. By giving us, and through the true characters, by giving us an example in the widow of resolve and prayerfulness, and then by showing us through the unjust judge that God is for his people. God is on the side of his people. So first with me, consider the widow's persistence and how it points us to prayerfulness and resolve. We're actually introduced to the widow after the judge in verse 3, but because it's her activity that that forces the the activity of the judge, we will start with her. Her action sets up the judge's response. Look at verse 3 with me. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So first thing we learn is that there was a widow. Now Jesus opts for a widow here in 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 his parable, because the widow would have been one of, if not the most oppressed and marginalized classes of people in Jesus' day. A widow had no opportunity to provide for herself. she would have been wholly reliant on her extended family or the or the the resources that were left to her by her late husband. And sometimes the families of widows wouldn't bother to care for widows the widows in their family one because they just disregarded them or two because they just simply didn't have the means to you'll recall in James 1 27 James writes to the church he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world The orphans and the widows represent this marginalized, oppressed classes of people who are cast out by by their society. They were quickly forgotten by the society. And so the widow keeps going to the judge over and over again. She wants justice uh, against her adversary. Jesus doesn't tell us who the adversary is. He doesn't tell us... uh, what was unjust about this situation? it would be common for an opponent to threaten to take some land or someone, something else from, from her in payment for a debt. And so maybe we can assume that that's the situation here. In Second Kings Four, we have this example. We have an example of uh, uh, when Elisha, the prophet Elisha, meets a widow who had a creditor who was threatening to take her two children away from her if she didn't pay her debt. The widow in this parable is presumably in a similar situation. The point here is that the widow, though, is persistent in her requests for justice. The parable, uh, in the parable, it would be unjust to leave the widow destitute. We learn about the the judge that he is, he doesn't fear God and he doesn't uh, have respect for man. But it would be unjust, and it would. Be his MO to leave the widow destitute, according to Old Testament law. So in Exodus 22, uh, we're told that uh, that uh, we find out about justice issues in society. In verse 22 of chapter 22 of the book of Exodus, it says, "You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child." Again, the idea of orphans and widows being marginalized in the society. You shall not mistreat them. The law says. The prophet Isaiah picks up this idea as well. In chapter 1 of uh, the book of Isaiah, in verse 17, we're told to do justice is to plead the widow's case or to plead the widow's cause. The widow doesn't give up in the parable. She goes back to the judge over and over and over again. She is persistent and she does what Luke tells us the application of this parable is. She doesn't lose heart. I think it would be good to note here, too, before we move on, there's a cultural intersection point for us. It would be good to note that the widow can come back to the judge over and over and over again and not lose heart because there is objective truth. There is objective truth. This situation that she's coming to the judge over is not a he said, she said situation. The parable hinges on the reality of right and wrong, of unchanging truth. And that unchanging truth is this, that God is on the side of the marginalized. God is on the side of the oppressed. This is objectively true. God is just and cares deeply that real justice is carried out on earth. Now, the world we live in sometimes wants to jump with both feet into pretendyville and pretend like real truth, or the reality of objective truth, isn't, isn't a thing. This isn't the case in the parable. The judge actually affirms that there is justice to be had in the world and that he's cutting against it. The judge, in verse 5, gives the woman justice according to the law, according to Exodus 22.22. An objectively true standard that even he, though he neither fears God nor respects man, can ignore. And so we learn very clearly that words and their definitions matter. The judge doesn't doesn't come back to the woman and say, well, that may be justice for you, but it's not justice for me. The judge gives out justice according to an objective standard. Even though he is considered unjust himself. This is the first step in not losing heart as an individual. This is the first step. If you're not to lose heart, if the resolve in your command center is not to waver or falter, You need to believe with all of your being that God's word is objectively true and what he says will come to pass, will in fact come to pass. And Jesus solidifies our thinking about this in verse 8, the last verse here. Look at that with me. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on earth? Jesus is referring to his second coming. Will Jesus find men and women in the local church believing what he says will come to pass will, in fact, come to pass? And so he says persistence is a matter of faith. And this is where the understanding of the unjust judge comes in. Because the unjust judge points us to a God who is for his who is on the side of his people. The unjust judge is the first character we meet and we learn again that he doesn't fear God and that he doesn't respect man. A judge in a biblical sense would have to do both of those things to keep his job. And so somehow this guy is doing a thing that, uh, that he doesn't meet the requirements for. He doesn't live up to the job description. Because he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect men. And because Jesus opts to make one of the characters in this parable an unjust judge, many people have struggled with the application of this parable. What does this parable mean for us as believers? Does it, is Jesus saying that we should bug God until he gives us what we want? Or is Jesus saying that God is annoyed at our requests? like the judge who says, unless, I, unless she continues to beat me down by her continual coming? The answer to both of those is no. The answer to both of those is no. Jesus is using here a standard Jewish argument that, that's structured and it relies on the concept of how much more. How much more. And that argument goes something like this. If a broken clock can be right twice a day, if a broken clock can be right twice a day, how much more adept at telling, a time, telling time is a clock that works? If a broken clock can be right twice a day, how much more adept at telling time is a clock that works? And so here in this parable, the, the argument goes like this. If even an unjust judge who doesn't care about the widow's situation at all, has no regard for her at all, if even an unjust judge can be just, how much more will a righteous God dispense justice for those who are his? How much more will a righteous God dispense justice for those who are his? And this is good news. Because if you're in Christ, If you are in Christ, your heavenly Father is for you. He is on your side. He is on the side of his people. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? The creator and the sustainer of the universe is for you. Let us think that sink in. You don't need to worry about today or tomorrow. You don't need to worry about the global pandemic. You don't need to worry about making sure that everyone is aware of your opinions about current situations. You don't need to worry about political unrest. You don't need to worry about your next paycheck. You don't even need to worry about anything, period. And the promise that that flows out of is found in Romans chapter 8, where Paul writes in verses 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God of Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is perfectly just, and if you are in Christ, why? Would you have any need to worry about anything? A global pandemic may leave a devastated economy, illness, and death in its wake. Will it be able to separate us from love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord? Your rights may be ripped away from you. Your preferred political structure may no longer be in place. Your economic and social standing may evaporate before your eyes will it be able to separate you from the love of Christ, or love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? If sinful men and women can stumble into good things, how much more the God who defines good in his very being? Think about that. If, if sinful men and women like you and me can stumble into good things, How much more the God who defines good in his very being. How much more will he act in goodness towards those he loves and those who are his. Jesus uses this same argumentation. This how much more argumentation earlier in Luke's gospel. He actually uses the words here. Luke uh, chapter 11 verses 11 through 13. What father among you. If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If, then you, are, you, if, then, if you then, who are evil, that's us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give, us the, whole, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If a broken clock is right even twice a day, How much more adept at telling time is a clock that is working? God is good and just, and he is for us. If you are in Christ, he is for you. I said just a moment ago, I think this parable often gets misapplied. So I want to give you three simple takeaways today. Two that are rooted right in that first verse, and one additional observation. We'll start with that observation. And then we'll move to the Lord's Supper together. The first takeaway is this. Persistence, like the widow, persistence is a matter of faith. Everyone in this room, without exception, no matter how you feel in this very moment, is better off than a widow in the first century. We have access to things that the widow could never even perceive of, and there was no one who was under any type of obligation to regard them societally. And this is why Jesus chooses to make one of his characters a widow. No matter your circumstances this week, no matter your circumstances this month or this year, The widow shows us that persistence in continual prayer and resolution is possible. Her circumstances are far worse than any of ours. We, oftentimes though, quickly give up and move towards depression and despair when situations and circumstances seemingly go against us. But we need to be reminded in the midst of difficulty that God is for us. And this is the faith that Jesus talks about. Right at the end of our text. Faith that has a deep and unwavering belief that God is for us, that He is in fact for His people. And when the reality of things around us isn't the way that we would like, persist in prayer that God would establish your hearts and grow your belief that He is not far off, because God is not far off. He's He's promised that. He says it to us in his word. He is not far off. Our, our family has a, a desire someday to, to own a home. This is something we talk about our kids. A few weeks ago uh, in men's morning, Monday morning prayer, our, my five-year-old Tev, he, he asked to pray about it. Tev has an underlying motive. Uh, unless we get a house, we cannot get a dog. That's where I've put my foot down because apartments and full of children and dogs don't mix. And going up and down stairs 65 times to go take the dog to the bathroom in 20 below weather is not something I want to do. The question, though, I have to ask in response to this parable. The question I have to ask in response to this parable is this. What if our family never has a house? at least in this life? Would it mean that God is not good? Is he not for me as his child? Have I been separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord, if a desire like that is not fulfilled? And the answer is no. The answer is no. 10,000 years into eternity, as I sit on the porch of my eternal dwelling, will I complain that God didn't love me or care for me because I wasn't able to own a parcel of land with a house on it in this 80 or so trips around the sun that I've got? My sons and daughters need to know that God is far greater than a box of kindling with plumbing in it and a backyard. And if that which they desire don't come doesn't come to pass in this life it will not mean that God is withholding. Do you believe that God is for you friends? When Jesus returns will he find faith on this earth because this is what it is? Do you believe that God is for you? If you are in Christ he is. And even when the widow in the parable can persist in bringing her requests to an unjust man who neither feared God nor respected man, how much more ought we persist in bringing our requests to a God who is altogether good? The second takeaway, not unrelated though, is this, and it's just the the application that Luke gives us right in verse 1. Spend time in prayer, and now that's understated. But in a culture that's always telling us to go faster and get more done, slowing down enough to pray for the Christian is rare. Going to your loving and heavenly Father when things are difficult or when things are good, is an amazing privilege. If God was far off, Jesus wouldn't bother telling us to bring our requests to him. Prayerlessness is a denial of God's nearness and his love for you. you. Hear that? Prayerlessness is a denial of God's nearness and his love for you. And Christians often talk about praying in the moments in between calendar items. The first calendar item for the Christian should be prayer and time in God's word. Prayerlessness reflects a self-reliance that is an affront to God. Our twins are nearly two, and you know how crazy that is for us right now. And one of the things that they like to do right now is make attempts to dress themselves. And it usually ends up with pants on the head or both of their legs through one pant leg. They don't know what is a shirt and what are pants right now. They desperately, at nearly two, want to be self-reliant but they don't have the motor skills to make it happen. They just don't have the categories of shirt and pants yet. I mean, they do, but how they actually go on is maybe not something they can grasp. But I think that's maybe the picture of our our prayerlessness. Our self-reliance has us walking around with pants on our head, and God says, just bring it to me. Prayer is simple, friends, but it isn't easy. It's a discipline to bring your requests before God. But you must believe that God made you, redeemed you, adopted you, and loves you. And you must express your dependence on him. The final takeaway this morning is this. Take heart. And this will lead us into participating together in the Lord's Supper. Take heart. The question is, what are you facing this week? And maybe it's the same thing as you faced last week, like the widow, or the week before, and the week before, and the week before, and the week before. Is it uncertainty in the world in the midst of a pandemic? Is it a tough conversation with your boss or coworker or family member? Is it a loved one who is sick and dying? Are you exhausted and run down by the endless amount of information that you've got to pack in your brain as you wash your hands over and over and over again? Friends, whatever it is, don't lose heart. That's what this parable is communicating. Don't lose heart. Strengthen your command center with God's word. The difficulty that you are facing is designed to strengthen your resolve because God will see you through. The messaging in our culture right now is all about safety. Rebecca and I went on a brief trip for our anniversary this last week, and we don't really watch TV all that often. And we turned on the TV and we had to turn it off because we couldn't get over the fact that literally everything was geared at safety. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about safety or security, but we shouldn't care about it more than Seeing what God desires to bring about in us. The difficulty that you're facing, the risk that you might be presented with this week, is designed to strengthen your resolve. It's designed by God to strengthen your resolve because God will see you through it. What is the thing that the world can take from you? The answer is nothing. Your life is hid with Christ in God, Paul tells the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 3. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You're not the exception to these things. If you're enduring difficulty and hardship, exhaustion, trials, pain, you name it. You are not the exception to this. God is producing in you steadfastness. He is bringing you to completion, to perfection, and to maturity. He's promised it. And so the admonition is this. Don't shy away from tough stuff. Go at it head on. Arm yourself like the widow with prayer and a resolve in your command center. You can do that because there is objective truth in a promise that's given to you. That God is for you. And knowing that God is unwaveringly for you will bring you through this world into eternity where there are no more tears, where there is no more pain, where there's no more sadness, sickness, suffering, or death. Friends, if you're in here this morning and you're 70 or you're 7, it's not far off. That reality, for those who are in Christ, isn't far off. Just a little while longer, brothers and sisters, pray and don't lose heart.